ago. Probably a number of you all remember this. Early to mid-90s, hidden three image posters were everywhere. You remember those hidden three image posters? It's a poster of a, sort of a pattern design that didn't really look like anything on the face of it when you first look at it. But the secret is that if you look at it in just the right way, a hidden 3D image would emerge clear as day from within the pattern. They looked kind of like this, not Honeycomb Jesus. They looked like this. Sort of, you know, who, who knows what that is, right? Like you can't tell. Any better remember those? Remember looking at those? Give me some, give me some love, people with hands. Thank you. <laughs> people with hands, which is... So here's the thing with these deals. You'd be walking around the mall or somewhere and you would see this group of otherwise intelligent adults just sort of staring intently, all of them grouped around this poster, staring intently for long periods of time, going like, uh, you know, that kind of thing, trying to change the angle, see correctly, focus on it, and uh, the rest of the, the people around would be going, what is that thing over, that group, what are they looking at? They'd all be staring at these hidden 3D images. When, when they'd be looking at it, suddenly someone would say, I got it, I got it, I see it, there it is, that is so cool. And the rest of them would be, be going like, what's cool? It's just a bunch of dots. And, and, and so this one person would get it, and they would say something, because I don't remember if you remember these, but most of these were s- just absurd, I mean, ridiculous pictures. It'd be like, it's right there, the sailboat. With the goat sitting inside, playing a 12-string guitar, with this forlorn look of unfulfilled hopes and dreams, or something silly like that. And the rest of the people would be sitting there going, I don't see the unfulfilled hopes and dreams of this ridiculous picture. But the rest of the group, as soon as this one person would see it, would go into this frenzy like, sailboat, goat, Guitar, and they'd be trying to focus, and this one person who got it, this sort of oracle, this, this prophet, this oracle of all knowledge, would stand there and say, you look like this, and you, you look past, and you, you stare intently and, and, and change the angle, and wow, it's so cool. And the rest of them would just stand around feeling a little bit like losers while this one person, the chosen one, got it. This scene would repeat a few times. Until someone else would get it. And then someone else would get it. And then someone else would get it. And everybody would be in this frenzy of, wow, how cool. Until, I don't know if you experienced this. Here's where we're headed here. You are the one who didn't see it. (laughs) I remember clearly three to four times this kind of scene would repeat itself before I ever got to see anything remotely like it. And so I would sit there 15 to 20 minutes after they saw it going, I don't see it. I I, I don't get it. I don't see it clearly. And I wanted so badly, wanted so badly to see it clearly. But every time I couldn't see it for the life of me. (laughs) It turns out I was the goat with the unfulfilled hopes and dreams. When Jesus is telling his disciples about who he is, it's a bit like that dynamic. At this point in Mark where we are, Jesus had become so popular 
that it began to threaten, it began to threaten to take down his ministry and render it more ineffective. So he had to change his strategy. So he began to pull away from the crowds and he began to concentrate on training his disciples, the smaller groups of followers. He began to teach them about the kingdom of God that he came to establish. And he did that by teaching them in parables. Simple, short, everyday stories using ordinary things from life. They were supposed to be easy to understand, and they were on the face of it. But at the same time, when Jesus taught these parables, there was also something about them that was sort of hard to understand. It was like those 3D images. On the surface, it seems (laughs) relatively simple. Look through it. Adjust your stance. Keep staring. Give it time. You'll get it. Just just listen to the short story about ordinary, everyday things, and you'll see Jesus. You'll find that deeper underlying message. What could see, be so tough about that, right? I mean, it sounds easy, but it wasn't always. I can imagine there were a number of times when the disciples go away from, from hearing Jesus teach in parables, and they just, they just say, I, I don't get it. I mean, I guess I don't know the secret. Let me tell you the secret right up front as we jump into the text. The secret is that when it comes to the kingdom of God, it's like much of life. What you see depends on what you're looking for. That's just the truth about life. But it's the truth about the kingdom. What you see depends on what you're looking for. If you want to see the kingdom... You're going to have to know the secret. You're just, you're just going to have to know the key. The secret to seeing the kingdom. And it all depends on what you're looking for. So jump into verse 10. Let's find out what we're looking for. It says this, verse 10. When he was alone, those around him with the twelve, of course, him there is Jesus, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. Two things to note here in verse 10. It says this. When he was alone. In Mark, more private settings like this are where Jesus' followers are told about the sort of special sauce of the kingdom here. This is in these more private places where Jesus revealed himself more fully. Unlike the crowds, where he had to sort of be careful about that, lest they begin to damage his ministry, though it was clear with Pharisees and others, even in the crowds, who he was claiming to be. In these private settings, he began to reveal himself more fully here in Mark. Second thing, it says this, those around him. If you'll remember from last week, Jesus said, Jesus said that, uh, that those who do the will of God are his family. He was real clear. He said, it's not DNA. It's not where you're from. It's not whether you're city county. It's not where you went to school. It's not what your last name is. It's if you do the will of God, you're a part of this family. And so he drew that line. And so when it says those around him with the 12, he's saying, Mark is tipping us off here in verse 10. Those around him are those who are doing the will of God and are in fellowship with Jesus. So this isn't just the 12, but it's also the larger group, perhaps 70, perhaps 120. We're not told here, but it's more than just the 12. So verse 10, when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables because he began to teach about himself through parables. And he said to them, verse 11, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. 
How do I see the kingdom? How do I know it's arrived? How do I know it's there? He says, listen carefully, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. We're going to spend some time here on verse 11 and let this marinate with us for a while here. He says, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. Meaning, here I am, right now, teaching you. Let that sink in for a moment. Reread verse 11a. He says to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. Meaning, here I am, right now, teaching you. This is one of those moments when we have this typical uh, evangelical interpretive problem. When it comes to reading the Bible, we often take too literally what is meant to be more figurative, and we often take too figuratively what is meant to be more literal. Not all across the board, but in a number of places. And this is one of those places where that second part of that dynamic is the case. This is one of those places... This is one of those places where we often take too figuratively what is actually meant to be more literal. This is one of those latter moments. We, we, we come across a text like this in 11a and, okay, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. What's the secret? What's the secret? Lord, tell me what the secret is. What's the secret? What's this secret? Let me say it again. Jesus talking standing in front of them, saying, to you has been given, past tense, the secret, singular, of the kingdom of God. I mean, at that point he's saying, hello, ta-da, revealed, I'm here. What secret are you looking for? The secret is here. This is an example of the kind of thing where Jesus says, if a snake, it would have bit you. If you were from the south. <laughs> he might have also added, you're a lost ball in high weeds, disciples, but he doesn't say that. That was my sarcastic interpretive comment. He's saying, I'm the key. I'm the secret. I'm revealing myself now to you here. What you need to know is this. God has come in flesh to demonstrate what can happen when salvation comes, to make it available to you. So Jesus himself was the key, and he's saying that to his inner, not the inner circle of three, but the inner circle of 70 or 120 versus the crowds. Jesus himself was the key, verse 11. But for those outside, he draws a distinguishing mark here between those inside and those outside. But for those outside, everything is in parables. We'll see that distinction in and out later too. For those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. In other words, those who are supposed to see will see. Those who are not supposed to see will not see. Now, this is a bit of a hard truth for us to to reckon with. We would just love for it to be the case that everybody sees and make assumptions that everybody sees. But that's not actually how Jesus talks about it here. He says there are those who see 
And there are those who don't see. There are those who hear. There are those who don't hear. And the secret, the key, is whether or not you're hearing or seeing Jesus as the center. But even at this point, the disciples don't get it. They couldn't quite get it. They were still expecting something different. You see, they were seeing, they were seeing in the kingdom something that they wanted. They were coming to the table with their preconceived notions of what a Jesus was supposed to be, right? I mean, I mean, we do this all the time. Let's not just be hard on the disciples. We want Jesus to be a rubber stamp to our already existing life. That's not what Jesus came to do. He came to wreck your purposes that are human-centered and about your own kingdom. He came to say, if you're going to follow me, you're a part of my kingdom because I'm the only one worthy of being called a king. And the key is Jesus. The key is seeing in the kingdom Jesus. Not seeing what, what, what you may think should be a part of a kingdom. That's not... That's not how this works. Jump down to verses 21 to 25. We're going to see another example of this. Jesus trying to be clear again. Trying to be clear. Verses 21 to 5. He says this. We're going to spend some time on verse 21. He says to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? The answer, of course, is no. Jesus asked the question in a way that expects a negative answer. Like you don't bring in a lamp to hide it, right? I mean, that's what Jesus is saying. No, you bring in the lamp to provide light. Jewish rabbis, just like Jesus, used parables all the time, not to conceal the point, but to reveal and to explain them. Jesus also draws distinctions between insiders and outsiders in his parables. But this is one of those places where he does it just to reveal the point. And we're going to spend some time on 21 here to show you this, because there's some cool stuff in the text. We're going to spend some geek time here, because I want to show a few few cool behind-the-scenes features that help us understand verse 21 well. So read it again. It says, Jesus speaking, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket, under a bed, and not on a stand? So here's the thing. This lamp is no ordinary lamp. This lamp is no ordinary lamp. This is a very special lamp, and it's not easy to explain with going into some complicated, literary, nerdy stuff. So we're going to start easy and ease into the complexity. So this is a very special lamp. You see, lamps were used in the Old Testament, just to give you some background, as a metaphor for a few things. Number one, the Word of God. Number two, the Messiah. And number three, God himself. Lamps were used as a metaphor to talk about, number one, the Bible, the Word of God, the truth of God. Number two, the Messiah. And number three, God himself. Think Psalm 119, for example. Your word is a light to my my feet and and a light to my path. A lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That's a lamp used metaphorically to talk about the truth of the word of God. It was also talked about with the Messiah. It was also talked about with God himself. 2 Samuel 2.29 is a cool example of that where he says, God lightens my darkness. So, So lamps have this history in the Old Testament of being applied to the Bible, the Messiah, and God himself, are we tracking? So, and in the tabernacle, these lamps were placed on a lampstand, not only, duh, to bring light to the space, 
but also in view of the metaphorical stuff we just talked about that they referred to the Bible, to Jesus, and to God himself. These lamps were placed on a lampstand as a symbol of the presence of God. Not just to light up the space, but to bring the light of God's truth to the space. Are we tracking? Some other cool features here that aren't quite obvious in the English text, and I'm committing a couple preaching sins supposedly because you're not supposed to talk about the Greek, but I'm going to. So in the original Greek text, though none of our English texts have this this way, it actually says the lamp. It's not a lamp. It's the lamp. And he puts, Mark puts together the Greek in a sort of a weird way so that the lamp itself is the acting subject of the sentence. All sentences have subject, and in basic terms, subject, predicate, right? Okay? The preacher is boring. Subject, predicate. <laughs> Thought you might enjoy that. Now you're tracking. So, so the sentence in the English is usually, is a lamp brought in? Mark writes it, does a lamp... Subject of the sentence, come. In 82 times in Mark, every single time this word for come is translated, it's come, except somehow the translators suddenly go with brought. Because what kind of lamp walks in, right? This lamp. This is a lamp that walks in. This is a lamp that is spoken of by Mark and Jesus here, so that Mark records Jesus saying, does the lamp come in order to be put under a bed or under a basket and not on a stand? Of course the lamp comes to be shown. This lamp comes walking and talking and proclaiming the kingdom of God. This is a lamp that speaks. And Jesus says this in this way to those who are listening so that they would hear him and realize this is a lamp that has come not just as a metaphor for light, but as an actual, an actual piece of evidence that God has come, that the kingdom has arrived. The key, just like what we said before, the key is actually Jesus. The key is Jesus. And he comes not to be revealed. I mean, not to be hidden, but to be revealed. That's what he says in the next verse here. Keep reading. Let's move forward a little faster here. Verses 21 here and 22. Nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, except to be made known. Nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 23, to have ears is to have them turned on and to be attentive in Jesus' terms here. Because, because he's saying many are listening without hearing. Many are listening without actually hearing. Which is to say, if you don't have the key, the secret of Jesus, then you're going to miss. You're not going to hear. You're not going to see. You're going to read into the kingdom something of self. You're not going to see what God's doing here. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. 
You have a stewardship for what you hear here. It's important to know that here in verse 24, for the Bible, hearing isn't just audio signals sort of coming in and being processed and even thought about and understood carefully. Hearing actually has a connotation of of having the truth come into you and doing something with that truth. That's what it means biblically to hear. Which is to say, if, if the truth gets in you, and it's not acting, you've not heard still, in, in Bible terms. To hear the truth of who Jesus is as the lamp, walking and talking, declaring the glory of God. To hear that truth and to not do something with it is to not actually hear that truth. So Jesus is saying, pay attention to what you hear because you are held responsible for having the truth. To know that Jesus is the Son of God is to be held responsible with that truth. That's how revolutionary the coming of the kingdom really is. When you hear something true, you have to act on it. Which means we're held responsible for this truth. We are stewards of this truth. We manage this truth. And in keeping with the reasons and the ways that it was given to us, we steward that For the sake of others. Which is why he says this in verse 24 here. It's actually what Jesus says here is a a twist on a common Jewish saying. Uh, It was a saying that was pretty cool. It says, in the pot in which you cook others, you will be cooked. There's a variation of this in verse 24. He says, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, not even what he has will be taken away. Which is to say, Jesus is standing there saying, now that you have me, now that you know the secret of the kingdom of God, standing here, revealing it to you, now you are responsible for stewarding that. You are responsible to be a steward of what they were calling the mystery of the kingdom of God. Think of how awesome that is. For managing, stewarding, using well this truth that Jesus is God in human form. So yeah, Jesus taught in a bit of a strange way here and there. For those, for those looking for him, his teaching made sense. For those looking for self, it didn't. The key is what you're looking for. The key is what you're looking for. And if you're looking for Jesus, you'll find the kingdom. If you're looking for Jesus, you'll find the kingdom of God. You'll see where God is working. You'll see it. The picture will just become clear. You can change your angle. You can step back. You'll see more detail. It's like those pictures. The more you look at it, the more detail you begin to see. The secret is if you're looking for Jesus, you'll see the kingdom. Here's why. Because you are formed and you are shaped in the searching process. If we are looking for Jesus, we will be increasingly formed and shaped after his likeness. You see, Jesus isn't hiding the meaning. He's asking for us to look for him. And when we do that, we will have that right focus. 
turns out that uh, eventually I did learn how to see those 3D hidden images. <laughs> I did eventually learn how to do that. It took me a long time uh, to be able to do it. Uh, I don't remember exactly what the key was for me. I don't remember exactly what did it. I just know I, I kept trying, uh, kept listening to others, annoying suggestions about what I was doing wrong. Uh, and, and eventually I, I somehow got it. Uh, I don't even, I can't tell you if I did this for sure, but I can imagine that as a, as a teenager in the early 90s, I probably, <laughs> probably sat there going, Lord, I just want to see this image. <laughs> you know, I, I, I just want to see the cool depth of this, this hidden image that I can't see. Lord, Lord, if you could just, if you could just help me see. Now, of course, that's ridiculous. We're talking about a 3D image. But that's part of how you begin to see the kingdom. You ask for the clarity that comes from the heart of Jesus. So let me encourage you. If sometimes you feel like it's hard to see the kingdom in a world that's broken, that's messed up, that experiences pain, that I experience, that you experience, that, that, that we know is not fake, we live in a broken, suffering, messed up world. But the kingdom, friends, came in Jesus and is alive and well and is moving in the hearts of people. If you will look, if you will see, if you will ask, if you will understand that the key is not looking for, looking for something other than Jesus. The key is you only see the kingdom if you're looking for Jesus. The key is looking for Jesus. So my encouragement is adjust your stance, look past the poster, Keep staring. Give it time. You'll get it. And here's why this is important. When there's a lot of people who are seeing Jesus clearly, when there's a group of people who are seeing Jesus clearly, <laughs> then you've got a church. An assembly of people whose focus is clear and who can see the kingdom of God at work. And that's important because when that happens, when enough people are seeing Jesus clearly, guess who else begins to see Jesus clearly? People who desperately need to see Jesus clearly. Who don't see him like you do. That's why this matters. Jesus didn't give you a vision into who he is so that you could hoard it to yourselves, so that, so that we could use it to justify our kingdom. He gave it to us as a truth to be stewarded so that those who don't see him clearly would see him. Let's pray. Lord, there's so much about this world we uh, pretend to see with clarity. There's so much, Lord, about our lives. Uh, 